Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Well, today I have the privilege of having a conversation with an alumnus of Beeson Divinity School, Dr. Dylan T. Thornton. Dylan graduated from Beeson back in 2011. He went on to do a doctoral program in New Testament studies from the University of Otago in New Zealand. He's now the pastor, the lead pastor of Faith Community Church in Seminole, Florida. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, Dylan. Thank you, Dr. George. It's a pleasure to talk with you today. Now, let's begin by sort of catching up with you a little bit. Tell us about your church down in Florida, your family, how you all are doing. Yeah, so we've been uh, here in the, the Seminole, Florida area for about the last year. I'm serving as the lead pastor at Faith Community Church. It's an EPC, uh, Evangelical Presbyterian Church, uh, EPC congregation, and we're very blessed by the people that we uh, are able to serve there and the great things that God is doing in our midst. Uh, my wife, Jamie, we've been married for 13 years, and we've got two little boys, Aiden and Cohen, who are now 9 and 7. That's great. And uh, we have another uh, EPC uh, alum down in Florida, David Malden, who is a pastor down near, uh, I, I think, West Palm Beach in that area. I don't know if okay. you've run across him. but he's, No, it's not too far away, but I'll have to look him yeah. up. Yeah. Well, this is uh, we're going to talk about your book. I think this is your second book. Uh, your first book was published a couple of years ago, Hostility in the House of God. Uh, this is a new book called Give Them Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about. But tell us about your first book and how that relates to this one. Uh, yeah, my first book was more of an academic study. It was a revision of my doctoral uh, thesis. So it focused largely on First and Second Timothy and uh, having a look at the false teachers that surfaced in Ephesus and then how the, uh, the early Christian community reacted to them. So this latest book is, uh, is not an academic work. It's more of a popular level work that I hope will be uh, helpful for just the average parent out there. Wonderful. Now, now, to give people a sense of who you are, I always like to read the descriptions of our authors on the backs of their books. I don't know if you write this or you have a publicity agent or your wife writes this, but anyway, it says some interesting things. In your spare time, Dylan does CrossFit, drinks far too much coffee, reads C.S. Lewis, and watches adventure movies. Is all that true? That sums me up pretty well, I think. That's great. And you're also, of course, a pastor, a preacher of the gospel uh, in a congregation that's seeking to serve the Lord there in Florida. And you've written this book, we want to talk about it, Give Them Jesus, Raising Our Children on the Core Truths of the Christian Faith. Why did you write this book? You know, I, I wrote this book uh, primarily for parents parents, grandparents, and other guardians. And uh, the fundamental presupposition of the book is that Christian parents are responsible for the spiritual development of the children under their care. And I'm convinced that most parents feel this responsibility, though they haven't been adequately equipped to fulfill it. And so, uh, you know, many years ago when I served as a children's pastor, an important Barna study was published, and the study revealed that roughly 90% of parents with children under the age of 13 believe they have the primary responsibility of training their children. But a, but a majority of these parents don't really spend any time during a typical week discussing spiritual truths with the children under their care. So parents are not so much unwilling to provide uh, spiritual training, the study concluded, but they're just ill-equipped for the task. 
And, uh, and the study further indicated that many parents aren't able to guide their parents spiritually simply because they themselves don't have a firm grasp of the Christian faith. So this is precisely why I wrote the book. My goal uh, in this book is to guide parents to a deeper understanding of the core truths of the historic Christian faith, and then along the way to supply them with uh, appropriate language, helpful illustrations, relevant object lessons, things like this, so that in the end they will be better prepared to pass these truths on to their children. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, you are a fellow for the Center for Pastor Theologians. It's a wonderful organization uh, started a few years ago by our friend Todd Wilson and some other folks. You've been involved in that. But you're, you're, you coin a new phrase, at least it's new to me here, becoming a not a pastor theologian but a parent theologian. What do you mean? Uh, yeah, so a parent theologian, I think one of the things I'm trying to do in this book is help parents rethink uh, our role in the home. We're not just parents, we're parent theologians. And by that, I mean we are the ones primarily responsible for opening up God's Word with our children, helping our children to understand God, God's world, and then their place in it. I think that's really what a theologian is. You know, we use that term, and perhaps many parents out there uh, automatically picture some some old guy in a dusty study with a, with a Gandalf-like beard, and that's what they think of when they think of a theologian. Uh, but a theologian, I think, is, as Kevin Van Hooser says really well, is simply someone who opens God's Word for others and helps them understand God's plan in the world, and that's really what our task is as, uh, as parents. And you mentioned how important worship is as a part of this uh, experience. Uh, family worship in particular uh, Say a little bit about how you all do that in your family and what you would encourage others to, to practice. Yeah, yeah. So our, our family worship has looked different over the years. And uh, I think my, my boys are now nine and seven, like I said. And so we've been gathering in worship uh, in our home, gosh, since they were very young. I think my youngest son, Cullen, first learned to recite the Apostles' Creed when he was three or four years old. Um, so our family worship has taken different forms over the year. We started as I suggest in the book, with learning the Apostles' Creed together and with me teaching through the Creed, the, the Gospel story in essence. Um, this is the story I want to tell my boys again and again, more than anything else. I, I want them to understand God's love for us, demonstrated supremely in the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ, who was crucified, buried, raised on the third day, who ascended into heaven, and who will one day return to complete His plan for the world. So we started with the Apostles' Creed, and we returned the creed regularly uh, in our home. We've also had seasons where we've learned about church history together. Uh, when my boys were younger, I used Stephen Nichols' excellent little book, The Church History ABCs. We, uh, we love this book. In fact, after, uh, after working through it together, my oldest son, Aiden, named his, uh, his stuffed hippopotamus Augustine. <laughs> that, was a, uh, that was a proud dad moment for me. Um, and then we've, we've used other, other works as well. There's a great series published by Reformation Heritage called the Christian Biographies for Young Readers yeah, series that yeah. uh, introduces uh, young people to great figures from church history like Augustine and Luther and Calvin. So we've done lots of things. Most recently, we're simply reading through the Gospel of John together. Mm. And we, uh, we take turns reading a few verses at a time, and then we'll pause to talk about what the text is teaching us about God and His world. But whatever our study focus is, I always try to include what in the book I call the four main elements of family worship, which are teach, treasure, sing, and pray. Yeah. Uh, let's speak a little bit about sing, because you say it's good to have a, a great hymnal. You mentioned one, you recommend the Trinity hymnal, uh, but there are others one could, one could choose from, so that 
your children are learning something about the liturgy, the singing of the Christian faith, as well as the knowledge base uh, that it implies. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, what I mean with those four essential elements, we're teaching, of course, the truth of the gospel and the basic core truths of the Christian faith. We're treasuring those in our heart by memorizing Scripture and memorizing things like the Apostles' Creed. And then we're singing. We're celebrating these truths that we've been learning about. And I think that's what some of the wonderful hymns of the faith uh, help us do. There, there have been days in our in our house where uh, my youngest son, Kellen, will wake up in the morning singing, Holy, 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 because we've wow. been singing that the night before in our family worship time. And so it's helping uh, us as parents and our children as well um, celebrate these wonderful truths that we've been learning about together. Maybe that's a part of what you mean. You have a very arresting sentence in your book that uh, the Apostles' Creed in particular helps us and our children understand that Christians are not just storytellers, but story dwellers. What do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's what drew me to the Apostles' Creed, uh, sort of as the, as the structure for this book. Um, a couple of things about the Creed in particular. One is, I think it is just a wonderful summary of the Gospel. Uh, but the other is, it, it helps us as parents and it helps our children understand our place in God's story. Uh, every time we recite the creed, I think we are remembering this is the story, the, the great drama of redemption, and we have been drawn into that. And so it, it's more than being a storyteller. We, we dwell within this story, and that brings great purpose to our, our lives. And I think that's something we want to teach our children from a very young age. It has a kind of incarnational connotation to it, that the Word right. became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't just visit the planet and leave some information, but actually took up residence, or as Eugene Peterson translates that verse, he moved into the neighborhood. Moved into the neighborhood, right, yeah. absolutely. Now, as you mentioned the Apostles' Creed, and of course one of the great uh, values of the Apostles' Creed is it's so... Uh, Christian. Uh, it's not necessarily distinctively Baptist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Methodist. It's a Christian statement. Of course, we have it uh, in stone here in, in Hodges Chapel at Beeson, and every student who comes has to write an essay on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, it's kind of our school-wide confession of faith. And your point is this this goes back to the basics, right? That we want every Christian to know whatever denomination you may be in or end up in. Uh, what's in the Apostles' Creed is something that uh, is absolutely essential to the Christian faith. Correct, yeah. And that was, that was a, my other main reason for starting with the Creed and allowing it to give structure to the book. Uh, yeah, this is, in fact, the oldest and the simplest Creed of the Christian Church. The, the Creed, for those out there listening who might not be familiar with it, it gets its name not because it was written by one of the apostles, but because it contains the main tenets of the apostolic teaching. Uh, it weaves together the big truths of the Bible. And the creed unites believers throughout the world and across the centuries. So you're, you're, you're right. It's not, uh, it's not Baptist doctrine or Pentecostal doctrine, it's Christian doctrine, and so I think this makes it the ideal starting point for our, our children. And um, on this question about doctrine itself, the Apostles' Creed, of course, has a tripartite um, orientation. It's Trinitarian in form as well as content, and even though it antedates the uh, great decision of the Council of Nicaea in 325, you have all of those elements inherent within the Apostles' Creed. Uh, how do you take up something that seems so abstract, so difficult, so hard to even talk about as the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, 
and bring that into your family worship with a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, a ten-year-old? Yeah, right. I think this is probably one of the, the greatest questions that parents are asking is, how do I take uh, you know very complex truths and explain them to my children? The Trinity just being one, uh, one of many examples. Uh, you know, as parents, we must have a solid understanding of the historic Christian faith. This is certainly the first step. We then need to develop ways of explaining these truths with accuracy and in child-friendly ways. Uh, C.S. Lewis is one of my heroes. One of, in one of his essays, he refers to translating truth. Lewis says, I've come to the conviction that if you cannot translate your thoughts into uneducated, or we could say child-friendly, language, then your thoughts were confused. Mm. So throughout Gives and Jesus, what I've tried to do is I've tried to help parents clarify their own thoughts, and then I've tried to assist them in the work of translation by providing these illustrations and object lessons and phrasing fairly complex theology in elementary terms. Uh, a related issue I should comment on here, I think, is, is the topics of Christian theology that, if fully expounded, are not exactly G-rated, shall we say. I, I think parents sometimes struggle with subjects like the crucifixion or the virgin birth, wondering if their uh, very young children are ready to hear about these things. A crucifixion is the sort of thing that can give even a grown man nightmares. It was savagely violent. Now, parents need to understand the magnitude of suffering Jesus endured for his people, but we'll need to use discretion as we describe crucifixion to our children. Depending on the age of the child, certain details may need to be omitted, and this omission does not mean that a parent has diluted the gospel. There is a difference, I think, between understanding the mechanics of the crucifixion and affirming the meaning of the event. So the particulars of Roman crucifixion, such as the uh, the use of nails to hang the victim on the cross, these, these particulars may or may not be shared, the pivotal point to emphasize with our children is that Christ actually suffered and died for us. Uh, or similarly, we can talk about uh, the virginal conception. My seven-year-old son uh, isn't ready for basic biology discussions yet. But this doesn't mean that I need to wait until later to teach him about Jesus' birth. Uh, when we talk about Jesus' journey to earth, I generally say something like, Jesus was born in a special way to show us that he is both human and God. And we'll talk about the natural way of conception as my boys get older, and then they'll understand exactly how Jesus' birth was special or supernatural. So I can introduce these ideas to my children when, children when they're very young and then continually come back to fill in the details as they get older. Yeah. Uh, you're a good writer. I, I, I guess I'd like to give my wife credit for that, or she'd like to take credit. <laughs> you should. You should, absolutely. Because <laughs> you had her courses in writing here at, at Beeson Divinity School. But um, one, of, one of your subtitles, I think this is in the chapter on uh, I Believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of His Only Son, Our Lord, what Scrooge and Schwarzenegger have in common. What do they have in common? Well, I guess I guess folks will have to read the book to find out the full story there. <laughs> uh, I, I think that was just a, sort of a catchy introduction to, uh, yeah. to talking about the real meaning of, of, of the Christmas story and what it what it really is all about. Yeah, and you, you, you're, you're, it's a way of kind of getting attention, isn't it? Of, of it is. Yeah, getting the attention of your children, of those who are, are listening and learning. Uh, and, and one of the great helpful things you do in this book uh, called Give Them Jesus is throughout the book you have kind of, uh, you call them family worship guides, uh, 
key verses, key concepts, nuggets of truth, uh, ways in which you can take these grand, mysterious, deep, unfathomable doctrines of the Christian faith and uh, put them in a way that your children can get a handle on them. Uh, that That's very useful to people who buy this book and use it in their families. Yeah, th- thank you, Dr. George. What I've tried to do with those family worship guides, you know, Give Them Jesus is not designed to be a book that parents will read and then leave sitting on their bedside table or on a bookshelf somewhere. Uh, the design, the hope, is that parents will read a chapter and then take the book to the living room, gather the, their children, and use it as a tool for their own family worship time. Uh, you know, the Apostles' Creed is giving structure to the book, so we have six main chapters, each of them doctrinal in nature. But then at the end of each chapter, there is a family worship guide where I am walking parents through those four essential elements of teach, treasure, sing, and pray. And I'm trying to give them some discussion questions uh, to help them in their family worship time. I'm suggesting some great hymns of the faith they can sing together and uh, some prayer prompts to guide their conversations that the family's having with, with the Lord. So... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's meant to be a very hands-on sort of thing. Uh, you know, there's been a little controversy uh, in the wider church about using the language of uh, inviting Jesus to come into your heart. Now, I did that when I was a young person. I didn't see anything wrong with it. And, you know, I think Jesus really did come into my heart. But I, I know some people feel, you know, that that may be misleading in some way. Uh, so what we're talking here in a way is child evangelism, but also child uh, instruction, right? Child learning about the Christian faith. Uh, how do you think about that? Yeah, that's a good question, and I do talk about this in the book. Uh, I, I'm all for uh, child evangelism uh, in terms of sharing sharing the gospel with children. Uh, I think we continually do that. We start when they're very young, and we and we continue to share the gospel throughout their lives. But I I do think that uh, it is important. That we that we uh, look for that child appropriate understanding of the gospel. Uh, I know in my denomination that I grew up in, I'm very thankful for many things about uh, that denomination. I think at times we could be a bit quick to sort of rush someone down the aisle or uh, or ask them to pray a certain prayer. Um, and I think we want to look for that child appropriate understanding of Do you understand who Jesus is and what he did, his person and his work? We're not looking for a child to be able to write a systematic theology textbook or anything like that, but an understanding that's appropriate for his or her age. Uh, and and then I think absolutely, we, we pray, we cry out to God in the best way we know how. I don't think there's a magical formula or a certain prayer that must be prayed, but we confess our sins, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, and we will be saved, absolutely. Now, of course, one of the final uh, notes in the Apostles' Creed is is about the Church. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. You're the pastor of a church. How do you teach children what church is and how to be a part of church when they're very young, especially? Yeah, it's always a great joy to see families who attend and participate in worship and in church life and community together. And uh, there is, I think, a movement today uh, at least in, in certain circles, that would say the church is, is no longer necessary, no longer needed like maybe it once was, and so we can all have our own uh, our own relationship with the Lord and, and stay at home and, and maybe even just do family worship. And I, I'm not a proponent of that at all. Uh, I think parents do bear that primary spiritual responsibility of training their children. We should be worshiping and, and instructing our children at home, but we also need to gather uh, in a local assembly 
where Christ is worshipped and where uh, the sacraments of baptism and communion are happening and, and church discipline is being practiced and all of those things that we look for in a, in a true and a healthy local church. And that's, uh, that's a very, very important part of, uh, of our family's life, and I would hope and I encourage uh, that it's an important part of everyone's life as well. You make a distinction between the church universal, the church is the body of Christ, extending across time as well as space, uh, but also the church as a local fellowship, as a local community of, of believers. And you, you, you give us three questions, three key questions to pose when we're looking for what kind of church ought we to be a part of and bring our children up in. I, I want to read the questions, and maybe you have just a brief comment about each one of them. They're really good questions. The first one is of a potential church home to ask, does this congregation prioritize the preaching and teaching of God's Word, especially the gospel? Yeah, I think that a lot of families these days um, don't necessarily look for that as one of the first things, you know, of a potential church home. Maybe they're more interested in, is the children's ministry uh, exciting? Is it very cutting edge? You know, is it a is it a, a fascinating children's facility or something like that? And I, I'm not saying that those things are wrong. But I think a far more important question to ask, and certainly to begin with, is, is this a place where God's Word is going to be preached? That's important for us as parents. That's important for our children as well. And are we going to uh, make a really, really big deal about the gospel in this place? Uh, I think that's the most important question we can ask. Now, the second question, is this a place that prioritizes the sacraments of baptism and communion? And this is something, as I hinted at earlier, this is something that we're not going to be doing, uh, at least in my, in our family worship times at home. This is something I think the, the Church does as we gather together uh, as the body of Christ in those local assemblies, and we are uh, looking for the sacraments to be practiced. Um, this is, I think, and in the book I talk about um, college students and young adults that I've met over the years in student ministry and things like that that will say to me, uh, you know, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, or this this that uh, event over here that I get to, that's my church. And I always say, well, are they are, are they baptizing people? Are you taking the Lord's Supper together? Uh, because those are marks of the church. And so, while it's fine and and good and healthy for you to be involved in those gatherings, you also need a local assembly, uh, a local group of believers that you're a part of as well. In, in this chapter, you you refer back to an experience when you were doing your doctoral work in New Zealand, uh, when you would go to a pub with friends and you'd have a few pints, you say. I don't know what kind of pints you had, but you had a few pints. And then you would talk about great theologians, maybe Calvin, maybe Bart, uh, maybe Didymus the Blind. You were an astute group. Um, but you wouldn't call that a church. It's a, Absolutely. And so so there, what makes a church a church? Yeah, I think, again, I'm looking for those historical marks of the Church, where the, the gospel is being preached, the sacraments are being practiced, church discipline is being practiced, and if those things are happening, then we have a, uh, we have a true and, and a healthy Church. But if, if those things are not happening, then uh, it might be a wonderful fellowship group, it might be a, you know, a wonderful Bible study or a, an enriching uh, discussion of scholars or whatever, but it's not, uh, it's not a local Church. And that third question, of course, has to do with what you were just talking about, in a way, discipline, that that is also a part of what a New Testament congregation, a church of Jesus Christ, uh, should should be a part of. It should be a disciplined community, and discipline in particular is related to the word discipleship. Yes, yes, and, and the idea there that I try to communicate in the book is that uh, we all need that accountability. We all need uh 
someone in our life, multiple people uh, in, in our life, to, uh, to help hold us accountable, to, to show us the way when maybe we've, we've lost our way. Uh, and I think that's an important part of church life. I've heard other parents particularly talk about how the church, uh, individuals in the church, leaders, mentors, uh, other than parents even, have a role in the upbringing of their children in the faith by modeling for them the virtues of the Christian life and forgiveness and discipline and all of these things. So that's another reason God has so tempered the body that we are to belong together to one another as a real koinonia, a real community of faith. That's exactly right, yeah. So uh, I'm talking with Dylan Thornton. He's a graduate of Beeson Divinity School. He has a Ph.D. in uh, New Testament studies, I think, uh, from uh, the University of Otago in uh, New Zealand. He's written a couple of books. We've been discussing Give Them Jesus, Raising Our Children on the Core Truths of the Christian Faith. Dylan, as you think back on your time here at Beeson as one of our students, uh, what comes to mind? It, was anything that you experienced here helpful as you shaped this book and your current ministry? Oh, yeah, I, absolutely. Uh, the Beeson faculty, uh, students, and really just the overall experience have had a tremendous impact on my family and on my ministry. Uh, my three years at Beeson were among the most formative years of my life. And, and I would say that uh, if I had not attended Beeson, uh, I probably would not have written this book, certainly not in this particular form. Uh, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I was raised in church, and I'm grateful for many of the things that characterized my childhood denomination. But the churches I attended and served in from childhood through college, really, uh, were not liturgical, not confessional, at least not in the sense of using historic confessions like the creeds. So my first significant interaction with the Apostles' Creed uh, occurred during the Beeson admission process 10 mm. years ago when I applied to Beeson. One of the requirements, uh, as it sounds like it still is today, was um, an essay on the Apostles' Creed. Right. Um, and for me, that was the beginning of a deep, deep appreciation for this powerful summary of the scriptural storyline. So I, in some respects, I can say that Beeson provided the, uh, the impetus for this project. Well, my guest today on the Beeson podcast has been Dr. Dylan T. Thornton, a pastor, pastor of Faith Community Church in Seminole, Florida, a, a father, a, a parent, uh, married to his wife, Jamie, and they have two energetic boys, Aiden and Cullen. And he has written this book really uh, as a way of guiding, a, I would say a kind of manual, uh, a workbook uh, as much as anything else, to help parents raise their children on the core truths of the Christian faith. Give them Jesus published uh, just right now by Faith Words. I commend it strongly, and thank you, Dylan, for this wonderful conversation. Thank you, Dr. George, so much for the opportunity. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast. <laughs>